Hey everybody, Ethan here. Since we're doing the movie Twister today, I actually got a hold of the singer of the band Twister, Scarlett Tripp. How you doing, Scarlett? Hi, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So I heard a little rumor from a little birdie that you named your band after this movie. So is this like your favorite movie? No, I don't know what movie you're talking about. Um, Twister is actually this kid that I that I knew growing up. But I, I'm here to talk about the album. Did you have a new album out or? Yeah, thanks for asking. Twister's new album is called um, Ride, Ride High or Die. And it's really a transformative piece. And if you know our previous works, it's kind of a regression to that sort of sound. Cool. Uh, I don't know a lot of your work. I kind of thought that we were just going to talk about Twister today, the movie, and um, I don't know if you had any memories with it. Are you aware of the movie with Bill Paxton? It's Helena? funny that you bring up memories because that's track two. Memories was written by me and um, Scott Dode, and uh, <laughs> we we really based that song off of real memories we had at an amusement park. That's fascinating. So uh, let's hear a little uh, a clip from that song. Sure, go ahead. I think that's all we can legally play. Oh man, that's a shame because it was a really enticing little clip. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here, Scarlet Trip, and um, I, I hope that you get a chance to see the movie because it's really fun. It's about a bunch of tornadoes, tornado chasers. No, I appreciate that, but I won't. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. This is your host, Ethan Edinburgh. This is the show where we break down the science of a movie with comedians and scientists. And today is no exception. Why would it be an exception? Could you imagine if today we just didn't do that at all and I just ran through my grocery list? Anyways, we're talking about Twister, 1996's Twister. A fantastic film. I've been waiting to do it for a long time. We've had many requests to do it. And finally, the day has arrived. Joining me, I have some fantastic guests. First, he is the senior scientist of the Forecast Research and Development Division of the National Severe Storms Laboratory. It's Dr. Harold Brooks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Harold. How are you feeling? Well, you know, nervous and, and with trepidation is what's about to happen to me in the next little while. Yeah, good. That's how I like my scientists, because today you're going to get all twisted up. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I don't really know what that means either. You aren't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. This is all just off the cuff. Uh, we don't have, this is not a scripted podcast for those that were concerned about that. To help me today, I have two uh, wonderful writers and podcasters, RJ Thineman and Aaron Blayard. Hi. Hey guys. Thanks uh, for having uh, us. Absolutely. I thought we were going to do a thing where like we take turns speaking, but I guess RJ <laughs> and I are just speaking no, the same No, no, no. I speak over Blay. <laughs> Pretty much the whole. If you guys time. could do it in yeah. harmony, it would that would be ideal. Oh, yeah, you know what, yeah. RJ? You know what? It's funny you we bring will. that up. I'm glad you brought that up because RJ is in an acapella troupe. RJ, uh, give us what? a couple bars or something. Yeah, you know, sing us a little like Twister theme real quick. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, please. We don't need Twister just themes, do it. but, do it. but you know I am. That is just true. I am in a barbershop but, quartet. We're called We Four Kings, and we do exclusively Christmas shows. So just give wow. us a give us a little twister. Give us a little taste. Give us a little taste, dude. Oh, watch out for the tornado. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Oh, huh? oh. and uh, so you sing the soprano parts, I gather. Uh, no, <laughs> I, that I just came out with that one just now. Whoa. 
Unbelievable. Okay, well, I can't wait to remix that. Uh, but before that point, God. we are talking about Twister. I want to get your guys' takes on this film. Uh, we spoke very briefly before the pod, so I'm going to start with you, RJ. You were saying that you watch this monthly. Is that correct? Oh, uh, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's on television probably daily, uh, if not yeah. every other day. And I catch it. And if it, not, it should be. Yeah, and I catch it uh, most of the time. And but I will say that I went back and watched it again last night because I haven't seen the beginning in mm-hmm. years. But I, I usually catch like the second half of the movie. Right. And it's one of my favorite movies. This movie changed my life more than maybe any other movie. Why? In in what way? Oh man. I, I, do, I, mean, I don't know if we should just totally oh go into God. this. How long yeah. How long do you have? This is like a four hour podcast. I've got all day. Can you just keep it to two sentences, dude? Jesus. Yeah, in two sentences, how did Twister change your life more than any other film? Short sentences, <laughs> when not I, when on I sentences. Was, when I was a little kid, I was oh, really God. scared of storms. <laughs> and I'm so stoked to talk to uh, Harold, by the way. But when I was a little kid, I was really scared of thunderstorms. So much so that my parents even were worried about me, and they sent me to a therapist, okay? My Whoa. therapist told me... Wow. That to get over being scared of storms, I should have thunderstorm parties. So I would sit in the garage with like chips and soft drinks with my parents and watch yeah. severe weather outside of our house. And <laughs> oh one time we saw a tornado. And where it was this? Me the, uh, I, li- I grew up in Kentucky. Okay. It freaked me out. It was amazing. But then this movie came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I want to be a storm chaser. <laughs> you totally 180 I know. And I almost uh I, I almost went to Purdue to study uh whatever, meteorology and I wanted to be a storm chaser, but instead I decided that was much too dangerous and I should just uh go into the entertainment industry. I should I should stick to acapella groups. Yeah, acapella yeah. groups mainly. <laughs> I mean, from that excerpt, you made the right choice. Clearly, Um, that song is incredible, brought me to tears, uh, Grammy worthy. And so so that's great. So on one side, we do have you as Twister's a top five film, it sounds like. Uh, So that's great. I I love when we have a huge fan of the film. Uh, Aaron or Blay, or as you self-proclaimed most handsome man in Los Feliz. Thank you. uh, How do you feel about Twister? First of all, I want to say John Hamm also lives in Los Feliz. So him and I are in competition for most handsome man. Uh, RJ, quickly, how many weather apps do you have on your phone? And don't lie. How many do you have currently? How how many do you have? Hold on, I have. I'm looking right now. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know offhand. By the way, can I just say that? It's so many. He doesn't even know. Is this an issue? Like when you guys are hanging out, do you find him just checking multiple apps? Is that why? Okay. Yeah. I don't check them. They just go off and interrupt. Uh, (laughs) I have twelve. Twelve weather apps. Yeah. Oh my god. Hold on. I want to jump. Harold, do you have multiple weather apps, or does this sound excessive to you? It sounds excessive to me. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I do have. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I have multiple. I, I have a radar. I have a radar app, and I have the Oklahoma Mesonet app, uh, and then one oh. of the local TV stations, uh, and a weather radio app. So I think I've got four. Harold has four. Harold, do you have my a lightning? Third, by do the you way. have my lightning tracker? Because I think you need that. Be no, because that, that that that's on my radar. Uh, I've got uh, lightning on my okay. radar on the radar app. Yeah, that's how a professional does it, RJ. So uh, clearly, RJ's a freak. Aaron, what did you think of this uh, movie? 
well, I love Twister. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think, um, I mean, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, not a huge fan of Helen Hunt, but she pulls it off here. I will say one what? thing about Twister. Yeah, no. <laughs> one thing about Twister is I was really scared of The Shining mm-hmm. when I was. I saw it way too young. Same. So that scene where they're in the oh, drive-in. Yeah. That's the movie in the, the drive-in. Right. I was just like, well, I'm watching Twister and there's that great scene where, you know, the Twister comes to drive-in and the twins are there and I was like, ah, they tricked me. Ah, you know, I'm just like screaming because of uh, the Shining twins. They found their way to Twister. I love it. I think Twister is a fantastic movie. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, yeah. And I think that I also maybe didn't realize how ridiculous it was at the time because right. I was so much younger. Now, I just literally watched it this morning and there were certain parts that, you know, now I can pick out as being ridiculous or really silly. But at the time, I was just wrapped up in a ball right. of awesome. Yeah. Also, I, I think it's important to think about, like, for me, it's important to think about the context of, of Twister and when it was released. Because this is kind of like, mm-hmm. again, CGI was fairly new at this point. I mean, Twister taken now is basically just sharknado without the sharks i mean it's ridiculous but um back then it was like oh my god look at this crazy these crazy like effects and all this stuff and i think it really kind of escaped b movie it's true b movie b movie status totally with the fact that when it came out it was pretty groundbreaking in terms of what things look like it also had that like amazing 90s camp movie vibe where you had like the ragtag low budget team and then you had the sponsored bad guy team which is in like every kid's 90s movie and it oh man it's the best yeah i want to piggyback off that actually and ask harold obviously harold i want to know what you thought of the film when did you first see it i mean i'm sure it had you know an impact one way or the other considering your profession but then also i wanted to ask about that whole rivalry because the only way that it's explained, he's talking about Jonas, you know, the bad guy who has all the black cars and how he has corporate sponsors and how he's in it for the money. Um, and and to me, after talking with so many scientists because of this podcast, I think like, but that's a normal scientist move, isn't it? To get money from grants or whatever. Isn't that what you want in yeah, able to, yeah. to, to do your research? How does that make them villains? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, yeah, you, wanna, you need to get funding to get... To, to do uh, most of most of the work. Okay, I, I, it's it's probably full disclosure time. Great. Since you guys watch the movie much more often than I do, uh, if you hang all the way through the credits until no animals were harmed, just before no animals were harmed, I'm in the credits. What? As a, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. Helen Hunt, you were yeah. you played Helen Hunt, didn't you? No, I knew it. I knew it, Harold. I knew it. I was not Helen Hunt. Uh, Damn. I was. Uh, uh, I, I'm listed as a technical advisor. I did have a three-hour phone call with Helen Hunt. This is officially the most starstruck I've ever been. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, I, I pity you. Just as, as background to that, um, we were actually, I was at the SuperStorms Lab, we were actually doing a field project uh, in 1994 and 1985, we were hosting a, a, a major field project that was funded by the National Science Foundation and and NOAA, my the, my parent organization in in the federal government. Oh, I have their app. Yeah, and so as a <laughs> of course as uh, as part of the project, I was one of the leads on the project. My job was basically to stay in Norman. I did some I did forecasting for it, but for night for that year for 1995, my wife and I were expecting a child, and I said, well, I can't leave town at all because 
the baby was due in May. So that we needed somebody to do the media relations. And that fell to me in large part because some of the people at headquarters were afraid that they were going to rewrite the script to make the government look bad. Mm-hmm. Ah. And so they said, well, we're going to treat this like this was just a media interaction. I got handed this to interact with the movie uh, people, just like I was interacting, you know, with a TV station from Peoria. Wow. And they came to visit the lab in um, Jan de Bont, who was the director, and Joe Nimick, who was the uh, the set designer. And I can't remember who the third person came to visit us in November and dis- in December before the movie was filmed in 1995, described what they were planning to do and what the movie was about. We did some stuff with them. We did a lot of safety training for the cast and crew, Whoa. Uh, answered some questions about script. That was the whole thing with the phone call with, with Helen was trying to change some of the lines that she had. Hmm. And then I worked a lot with the, with the art department coordinator, uh, Carla Nemec, who just wanted to try to make things look right, you know, from, from set a set standpoint. And they actually filmed the intro, the intro scene twice. Once with that, we meet out on the out in the field and talk to, and you know, we're trying to get the divorce papers signed. But they also filmed in, filmed a version of inside of a classroom, which I really would have loved to have had used because we had made uh, stuff for the blackboard to show mm-hmm. that included some inside cool. jokes within the meteorological community. Whoa. That uh, they didn't they, they they didn't use that. That was unfortunate. And then we hosted uh, Bill Paxton came and visited us in our operations center during actually during our he was in while I was working as the as the forecaster when we got our first tornado of the 1995 season. And then he went out with our field teams on on April the 19th, uh, 1995, uh, which we didn't get a tornado. That was the day of the Oklahoma City bombing, which made operations incredibly difficult. Most of the rest of the cast went out that day with some other folks. Uh, and then they invited us. They did they did some of the stunt filming and some of the uh, across the street from where the lab is. And so. They invited my wife and I to come watch the filming of, of when the house is collapsing where Aunt Meg is. We watched that scene uh, being filmed. And then they did the final scene that they filmed was actually the the house, the car or the truck driving uh, through the house. And it was this the part of the driving up the steps that was uh, a, was just across the street from the lab. So I watched all of that, all that kind of stuff and had to interact with people. Wow. Uh, Kathy Kennedy used to came come and uh, mooch coffee off of me when she came to visit the lab. <laughs> So Man, that's the whole so background. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. My God. And you were also amazing as Helen Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really convincing. Really? Con- yeah. That was just fantastic. I mean, I normally I don't, you know, wigs. Normally I can see right through them, but that was just great. Can I ask you a question, Harold? Yes, you can. I don't have to answer it, but you can yep. ask. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, the, okay. So you're in Oklahoma, right? Yes, I am. So, you know what the, you know, in the very first scene in the movie mm-hmm. when Helen Hunt's a little, or her character's. Like Joe, I think is her name, is a right. little girl, mm-hmm. and the tornado's happening. And why is the cellar or the basement or whatever so far away from the house? Like mm. I, that is that a common thing, or is that just a movie thing where the like are are cellars usually that far away, like uh, on the would, other side of their yard? I, I wouldn't say that far away. I mean, it kind of depends. People who have who have shelters like that, and those aren't obviously nearly as popular as they as they were at one point, you know, a lot of them started off at some point as, especially in rural areas, as that was a place that you could store uh, vegetables and things like that underground. Okay. Uh, you know, and, but that was a, that was probably further away than most people have. I mean, I, I know of a, of a house, well, probably five blocks from here 
from where I live that, uh, you know, it's, you know, maybe 20 feet out the front door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that okay. that's a lot more common than having them that that far away from the house. Yeah. But also, I wouldn't want my shelter to be near the house. If the house gets destroyed, then the debris is going to fall on the shelter door and I can't get out. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's an issue. And that, in fact, actually, you know, one of the things that we built uh, when we did an addition to our house, we built an in-residence, what's called an in-residence shelter in, a, in our house as part of the addition. Uh, and while it's a it's on the living level, uh, so that we shouldn't have this problem. People who most common thing now for a lot of people to do is to put a shelter in their garage underground, and you kind of slide open the door and you go in underneath. And ah. when you, you register your shelter with your local municipality, and they're aware of that, and so if your house is oh, nice. you know in the damage bath and is destroyed, that's they know that there is a shelter underground there that may be covered by debris. Oh, that's so oh, important. Very smart. smart. So look, they can now, look. The big issue with the outdoor shelter like that is if you don't get into it regularly and you really need it, there's that question of are you going to go out there after dark and right. run to your shelter in the in the rain or the hail and what kinds of creatures uh, li- are living in it? Uh, you know, we, we have some poisonous spiders around here in Oklahoma. Uh, we actually have rattlesnakes. Uh, and if you if you're looking down in the shelter and you see snakes. You know, how, how how anxious are you to take your chance? Yeah. You got to so. choose between a tornado and a snake. Oh, my God, Harold. I think this is a sequel to Twister that you're writing right now. Yeah. Throw throw the snakes out into the yard and get a snake nado going. You know, <laughs> yeah, like all the snakes, a, a bunch of biting snakes. I mean, I will say that's so smart, though, about registering. And it makes sense, like registering your your uh, you know underground shelter with the, the municipality. I mean, I should really do that with my sex dungeon. I, I am worried about, like, if debris falls on the door. No one's oh, gonna sorry, fuck. Aaron, no one knows. Aaron, you yeah. told me you told me to remind you not to talk about your sex dungeon on the air. Oh God! Oh, I always do this. Oh, well, yeah. you'll, you'll cut that part out. The sex dungeon. No, part. unfortunately, we can't cut that out. Listen, Got I had it. a question. Got There's it. a quote someone says about the cellar. They say, uh, "If you don't have a cellar or a basement, it's on the TV actually while the, the camera's moving." It says, "If you don't have a cellar or a basement, go to the center of your house." Would you? Recommend that to people yeah. that are, uh, you know, in a tornado without a cellar. The standard, the standard safety advice we we offer people is you want to get as low as you can, and put as many walls between you and the tornado as possible. So get into that into the middle, into a the small interior room. Uh, we we don't have a, a basement in in our house, uh, and before we we did the addition with the in resident shelter in it, there's a there's a small hallway. In between, what at the time was the three was the were the bedrooms of the house, and that was where we went. We would close the we would close those doors, and it was maybe eight feet by six feet. Uh, if we would have had a closet that was smaller than that, that wasn't full of stuff, uh, that would have been better. But you just stay away from windows and get into the middle of the house with as many walls between you and uh, and the tornado as possible. I think they actually put that line in as a result of of the safety message that we were trying to get out. Uh, as part of the movie, because Universal was actually really good about trying to encourage safety, Great. despite what goes on in the movie. Yeah. When they opened the Twister attraction at Universal Studios in Orlando. Love that ride. They What they actually did was they did sort of publicity things for it, at, mostly at science museums uh, around the country. And we went to the science museum and we would do, we would do a safety presentation. Uh, and then we would do the the shtick was that we would, they had a portable wind tunnel they brought around and you, we'd stand in the wind, wind tunnel with, you know, the meteorologists from local TV stations and do an interview in, you know, 75 mile an hour wind and rain. Um, <laughs> awesome. So I, I got to ask the big question here, which I feel like I've been wondering since I first saw the movie when I was little, which is, 
are people actually doing this? Are they chasing tornadoes with gadgets? And has it resulted in longer tornado warnings? Well, I think we can say people have, cha- have tried to put instruments into the into tornado paths and, and do other, other things for uh, since the late 70s, early, early 1980s. The, the Dorothy thing uh, is, is based off of what was called TOTO, the Totable Tornado Observatory. Uh, which was a single oil drum that that the idea that was it was developed at the University of Oklahoma in the Severe Storms Lab, and the idea was to deploy it in the path of a tornado. It would have instruments on it, and then after the tornado was over, you would go back and and retrieve it and get the get the data out of it. It didn't work all that well because it's actually pretty hard to put something into the put a single thing into the path of the tornado and then be able to get out of the path. Uh, and so it got barely hit by one tornado, and they realized it wasn't as stable as they thought it would be. So that was the first thing. Uh, what people then started to do was in the 1990s, in fact, this is the field, the field project that was going on while the movie was being filmed, was we started, we weren't so concerned about getting measurements inside the tornado uh, directly as we were about getting measurements near the tornado to try to get the conditions that might help us forecast better. And in fact, those have clearly helped improve forecast. I don't know if they've helped they haven't really made the, the lead time longer. They've made other aspects of the warnings much more accurate. Uh, but, and we would have radars that would then sample within the, within the tornado or in the, in the very near vicinity of the tornado to do measurements with the radars rather than putting people into, into the path. That makes sense. Recently, in the last couple of years, there actually has been a project now to, uh, that the, that's been uh, developed by some meteorologists at Penn State University, essentially that allows them to put you can think of them as balloons that float at a constant altitude, and they can then release sensors from it, and they can at least get them into the inflow of the storm. The tornado is a little more difficult to do because it's a really tough place to collect data because of the of the wind and the debris. But they can now put a lot of instruments in and get a lot of me- uh, uh, sort of a cloud of measurements in the area. We didn't have that technology in, in 1995. The problem was that you know you might be able to see where the thing was, but you couldn't get any data from it back because it has to broadcast back. And bandwidth wasn't large enough to distinguish between all those things. We can now, I think they've now put 300 um, things, these little sensors. Doohickeys, I believe is the proper term. Well, yeah, I just call them things. That works better. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, I, I'm not an instrumentalist, you know. So uh, so they put those out there and we can actually start to do that now. But that, that's the closest we've come to it. But, but now, has, it, the, has the warning time been extended or is it still, you know, one of the shortest warnings? Because I, I, yeah, I don't have short. experience with tornadoes. Right. Yeah. I'm, I grew up in South Florida. We had hurricanes. So you know when these things right. are coming days in advance. Right. No, the, the warning time really hasn't changed. And a lot of that is actually isn't related to the, to the physical science. You know, we, we, can, we can increase the lead time for a warning without a whole lot of trouble, but we'll have a lot more false alarms. And so there's a, mm. and we're not actually sure where this should be set, but we're trying to make a balance between how many tornadoes, you know, do you have, do you warn on? And then how many do you have false alarms on? Uh, and that's the real problem. The, uh, the lead time right now for a tornado, on average uh, for a tornado, if we warn, if we put a warning out before the tornado occurs, the average time is about 15 minutes uh but still Jeez. almost that's just for the warning part now there's a lot of other stuff that goes into forecasting that's that's really important uh but in the 19 uh in the 1980s we only warned on about a quarter of all tornadoes we've that's gone dramatically up and all of the tornadoes that are very strong or almost all the tornadoes that are strong the ones that 
are much more likely to kill people. We weren't on like 95% of those in advance. And so that's that used to only be about 30% or 40%. So that's a big deal. Mm. But we actually make forecasts of, of con- that conditions will be favorable for, tor- for tornadoes up to a week in advance. And we start to say, yeah, like the April 27th, 2011 tornado outbreak in the southeastern U.S., that was actually in the forecast that that, that was likely to be a, a historically big day six days before the tornadoes happened. And so people could start making preparations. We couldn't tell you that, you know, your small town's going to get hit, but we could say, you know, if you live in Northern Alabama, you need to be really ready on, on Tuesday for what's going to happen while you're there on Wednesday or the Wednesday, sorry, that what's going to happen while you're there. And then we start to narrow those forecasts down uh, maybe a day in advance and say, well, the Northern half of Alabama is the most likely spot for things. And then tornado watches come out that are sort of the next level of, of, you really need to be making sure you're paying attention over the next six hours. And then warnings come out that say, this particular storm is producing a tornado or will produce a tornado. You need to take your shelter actions right then. Because we really don't want you sheltering a day in advance. That doesn't you know, make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and so there's a, the cascade of forecasts. Uh, I think certainly the things like the field projects have, have inc- helped the, have helped the, those early forecasts a lot, and they've actually helped reduce the false alarms on the warnings because one of the things we've really learned is why some storms that look like they should tornado don't, mm. and that's the important thing. Wowzers. Um, okay, good. Well, it sounds like we've made, yeah, some significant uh, improvements. That's nice. Yeah. I have a bunch of other uh, questions here, but I believe our own associate producer, Emily Feld, has a firsthand account story. Is that correct, Emily? Um. Kind of story, but kind of more tornado question. Okay, bring it. Um, So I grew up in Denver, Colorado, lots of tornadoes there. And I remember I was in a tornado one time and the sky turned like green and it was super rainy and floody. Why, why does the sky turn green or is that just a really weird memory that I have? I've seen that too back in Michigan yeah, me uh, before too. tornado. I want you know if, if if you two guys would have jumped in there, I could have given her a comment about weird memories, but I wasn't. I, I guess I can't now. The year. Uh, okay. Oh, sorry. Hey RJ, RJ, where's your green sky app? Yeah, yeah. Huh? <laughs> huh? Okay. Where's your green sky app, there, buddy? Make it number thirteen on that phone. I'm gonna make a note. I'm gonna get that tonight. Green sky. Frequently, <laughs> the the storms there is a greenish tint, and we don't fully understand. There's been some research trying to understand that, and it is a real um thing but it's most it, so that we actually you know people have actually taken you know measurements of of the wavelength of light and could tell that it is green it is almost certainly associated with hail not the tornado it's it's a it's almost certainly associated with hail uh and but we don't really understand exactly why hail does that because it's uh under trying to figure out how light gets scattered is hard and and taking it's really hard to take measurements in the part of the storm where large hail is falling, that tends to be crazy, really hard on measurement on devices. Uh, if you've got a baseball size, you know, size hailstone falling at 100 miles an hour, most instruments don't handle that very well. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. But that it's it's uh, it's almost certainly a hail signature. A lot of mysteries here with the uh, tornadoes. Is that is that part of what what keeps you going, Harold? You you love a good mystery. I I, well, I, I like to think of it. I like to solve puzzles. Yeah. And 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 just understand things and try to figure out, you know, how can we put the pieces together and can we find even find the right pieces? Because the puzzle, unfortunately, the puzzle we've been given 
is actually a mix of about eight or nine different puzzles with different boxes and there aren't any pictures on the cover. Uh, and so, you know, you got to figure out how to awful, which piece even goes with which puzzle. I hate that. Um, I don't, I don't particularly like regular puzzles. I feel like now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay. I wrote down if you have ever done this, have you chased a tornado and, uh, yes. you know, tried to throw something in its path? I've never tried to throw anything in its path. I'm, I'm, uh, I used to chase, uh, reasonably often, uh, back sort of into the, uh, through the early nineties uh, as a hobby. Um, all the, but it's, I'm just imagining Harold chasing after Come back. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. No, well, you know, and, and really what it was, was that it was, okay, tell me better. I'm sorry. I didn't mean what I said. Yeah, I meant it. Don't worry. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, and, and really it was, a in terms of my development as a scientist, because I started chasing when I was a, when I was a graduate student, rebel. A lot of what I learned in the field, you don't even actually realize you're learning. You know, it's like I just saw things, and and then I compare it to the research I was doing at the time. I my my PhD work uh, was at the University of Illinois, trying to model uh, tornadic thunderstorms and non-tornadic thunderstorms, and what parts of the of the the wind profile that in, in the environment that they formed in, what made one tornadic and what another one non-tornadic. And so you would you'd see things in the field and you see storm behavior and you could go back and think about okay, when I do this in the model, this happens. And that relates to what I what I've seen in the field. And I think I asked different questions when I looked at model data because of what I had seen. So I wasn't intentionally going out there to try to learn, mm-hmm. but it certainly affected what I got out of the model work that I did. And then the model simulations that I did, I would say, okay, well, this was this interesting behavior that we saw in the field. Can we do something that will help us understand how that happened? You're doing it for the rush. When I was in high school, I got on my bike when it was raining real hard one day and uh, took my parents' camcorder. <laughs> sounds, sounds scientific so far. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> took, my, took my parents' camcorder because there was a tornado watch and decided I was going to go chase the tornado. I had no, you know, I would look up into the sky and be like, oh, maybe it'll come out over there. But anyway, I got grounded after that. Good. Are, are you are you still grounded? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. And I assume, RJ, this was after watching Twister, correct? They, it motivated oh, yeah, you to yeah, do this? Yeah. Well, of course. Great. Yeah. I'm, I wonder how many kids had the same experience. He was 28 at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was on his 28th birthday. <laughs> I'm going to get me a tornado right on videotape. Here I go. Bike, bike, bike. He's posting about it and his mom's calling him, telling him you're grounded. You're going to be home yeah. for a year now. You're grounded again. He does still live with his mother. So that is a thing. And that's cool. Yeah. And I have no problem with that. That's cool. They're in love. Um, okay. So I didn't know before today that you had done some work on the film. Yeah. So this is now a really appropriate question. Mm-hmm. Did it seem realistic to you? Did, did the tornadoes, uh, you know, is that what they look like, what they act like. I mean, we got a really descriptive... Yeah, man, can they pick up cows? Can they pick up cows? Can they pick up cows? And and on the inside, is there, you know, what we saw at the end, like that inner yeah. tornado uh, ordeal? That little yeah. double thread thing. Well, yeah, wouldn't they be ripped apart on that pipe yeah, when that dude, thing comes through? Right. Yeah, what the fuck? The Let's cut straight to the chase. At the end, <laughs> they've got leather straps around them, and there's some pipe in the ground... They're like, oh, this runs underground. This will save us. And they're in the middle of a tornado. Can that happen? An F5. 
in F five, a finger of God. The finger of unquote. God. <laughs> it's unlikely that that's that uh, that strategy for safety would have been uh, would have worked very well. Exactly. But there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. There's yeah. Says the guy in his bike with a camcorder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there actually is. This is actually the other sort of tangentially related thing that I have with the movie uh, is that in the late 1980s at, at Illinois, we had the National Center for Supercomputer Applications, which was at the time was the we had the fastest non-defense department computers in the world. Sketchy. Was it fun to play video games on? Like, I, I am on rock hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I can hear RJ's boner through my earphones. Well, it may be tough for me to continue now. But, uh, and, it, it sounds like, and it sounds like a small child weeping. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> but the uh and, and so that was what we did the the modeling of the storms on and one of the big things that that the supercomputer center did was computer visualization and try because at that point you know the thing for us as a scientist was you know when i started doing when i i did i had done climate modeling before we did thunderstorm modeling and we essentially were looking at printouts on off of a printer and then you could do a little bit of contouring of them and that was all you had and that clearly there was a lot of information we couldn't get out of them out of the model. And so the supercomputer center, one of their big things was to help us with visualization to understand what our simulations looked like. And they decided, I think it was 1989, that instead of showing what they had done for the this one com- meeting of co- of computer graphics people was the year before had been show a bunch of snippets from different projects. They decided to really specialize on one project, and they chose the thunderstorm modeling and did this amazing graphical presentation of our data and did a lot of work that we hadn't been able to do. One of the people who was in that group but didn't actually work specifically on our project but was, you know, basically the uh, next door to everybody who did was a gentleman named Stefan Fangmeyer, who in the early 1990s went out to Industrial Light and Magic. Fangmeyer. Yeah, Fangmeyer. That's Stephen, the coolest yes. name I've ever heard in my life. Stefan Fangmeyer. Did you live in a castle? I, he, I, I believe awesome. he probably does now. Uh, but, but Fangmeyer, I presume. <laughs> Stefan did the so cool. original sort of fluid model of a tornado that was shown to Steven Spielberg that nice. enabled him to be able to say, I think we can make the movie. Because Spielberg actually bought the rights to the name Twister from a, a book that was written in 1975. Hilarious. He bought the rights with the idea he was going to do a tornado movie, but that the special effects didn't work Whoa. Until, until Fangmeyer showed him we can make tor- we can make things that look like tornadoes. Uh, wow! And not in claymation. Can you imagine if it was claymation? How dumb that movie would be. <laughs> it'd be you different. Know, big, I don't know if it'd be dumb. I want to see that. It'd be different. Okay. You know what, Harold? You're right. I I bow to you. Yeah. I bow to you. Yeah. And you know what? But uh, I'm glad it's not claymation. I don't need to see a giant like you know turd cone coming across the field. <laughs> you know, I want to see a real tornado. You know, we had 1939. We had we had Wizard of Oz with a muslin. You know, basically with a big muslin sock oh yeah right right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so we go to the computer model and so fangmeyer is actually director of special effects for the movie or something or computer graphics for the for the movie he he did the first tornado the, and that first well, tornado looks pretty good some of the other ones it looks amazing yeah, yeah i mean i mean it looks which, one, pretty, which one do you hate by good i say realistic okay fangmeyer. the problem with the tornadoes in the movie uh and this has always been the Here hard thing 
for people to get right. RJ's going to be so well, upset. Getting get ready get to go. sign off. About to go flaccid. Is the context. Oh, the, co- oh, the tornado, okay. do- right. the, the storm doesn't look right. Ah, interesting. And so the, the tornadoes tend to come out of a lowering off of the backside of a super thunderstorm that we call a supercell. And the tornadoes in the movie sort of come out of this, just this sort of large amorphous cloud base. Hmm. And that's actually the hard thing is people try to get the tornado right, but the tornadoes aren't coming out of the right part of the storm. It's like a very good cell. It's not, they don't it's, get it. It's, and some of them cell. are pretty mediocre cells, not super cells. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, media, uh, but bummer cell. cell. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that's actually been the real challenge is, is to get that context right. And that was the thing where really, I think that the, the, the animations really fail at the, that's the worst part of them is that, that's not where that tornadoes don't. They don't look like they're in the right place. Can I ask you a question not related to Twister? You can. So one of my favorite tornado depictions on screen is Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. I felt like though when they have you seen that movie, Harold? Yeah, but I don't remember it. Okay. Mm. There's a oh my God, don't badass. remember. Sorry. It. Good lord. All right. I I I'm a lot older than you guys are. My my memory has started fading. It's your whole deal, Harold. No excuse for not seeing great movies, Harold. No, I, I didn't say it. not but see. I said don't remember. <laughs> oh, remember, remember. Fair enough. I mean, listen, me I've smoked, I've smoked a bunch of weed, an unacceptable amount of weed, and I remember that tornado. No such thing. But yes, the uh, anyway, there's a part <laughs> of that movie where they drive in. Uh, Charlize Theron, Furious, is trying to lose, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Morton Joe, and they drive into this huge sandstorm, this huge like wall, and it is a super duper cell. And then they get inside, and then there's these massive torn like sandstorm tornadoes swirling around and and i think you know that to me a the storm looked incredible and it kind of comes across the desert as a giant wall and then b inside there are these massive and they don't have like that well defined you know the tornadoes don't have that well defined of of cones so much as just it looks like chaos versus in twister the cow thing where the cow's like floating in the air mm. I mean, that cow would get ripped apart, right? And it would be in a massive storm. You don't just have a thing. Right, and the cow would be moving a lot faster than it would. I mean, right. it looks like right. it's kind of just sitting still so it can pose for the camera. Yeah, it was um, coasting. Right. And <laughs> what about those tornadoes in the second coolest part of the movie where they're driving next to that lake and they're oh, like gosh. split off from each other? The, the sisters? Like, oh, the sisters. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, never yeah. Heard that, I never heard that word referred to with respect to tornado until the movie came out. Um, but has that happened before where they like form and then split off like that? Or is that just not that thing? didn't look very realistic? I mean, you, you can uh, get okay. multiple tornadoes, but again, it kind of comes back to context. Yes, certainly tornado storms will make multiple tornadoes, but they form in relatively well defined. Well, not well-defined, but relatively well-defined patterns and, and times and locations and relative to each other instead of that, here's one, here's one, here's one. You know, I, I, for a tornado movie that we didn't, that we actually didn't get to see, my other time to interact with the movie people uh, was uh, the guy who directed, uh, Chris Sanders, the guy who did Lilo and Stitch, uh-huh. was going to do an animated movie for Disney uh, that eventually became Bolt. Uh, after oh, he wow. was removed from the movie, it was it was uh, it was going to be originally called an American Dog, and it was going to have a tornado at the end of it uh, that huh. that he rescues the girl from and all that. And they flew me out to Burbank to look at their test animations of tornadoes, and it was one of those things that one of the tornadoes looked. They showed me two different things they had done. One of them, the tornado was wonderful, but the storm again, the storm was awful. And the other one, the storm was pretty good, but it was a 
it didn't look like a very realistic tornado. And it was like, you know, I remember telling him basically, if you combine those two, change the direction of the <laughs> flow at the ground a little bit, it'll be really good. And then the movie ended up not being made that way, which was a huge disappointment to me because that would have been at the time, that would have been probably been the best tornado, CGI tornado anybody had ever made. And wow, I'm one of the few people who saw it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Should we protest Disney because they didn't greenlight that tornado scene? Or- Why are you trying to hide the tornado? Yeah, from well, it was, and I think it basically came down to a dispute between, uh, my understanding, between Chris Sanders and, and, the stu- and Disney, and they decided they mm. didn't want him to make a movie for him anymore. Uh, they were pissed that he wasted money flying you out there? To uh, look no, at that? no, I don't, th- I don't think I was the... Straw. I think that was about the time that uh, was it. Pixar that got involved with Disney in terms of their into yeah. their animation. I think that was when when Pixar came in that changed management structure on them. Was my, was my understanding. I have a question. So, like, yeah, when I am stirring my coffee in the morning, and I st- I like to stir it quickly. You know, I like to get it and good. I'm, that, that's I'm, always the way to do it. Right. Yes. And I'm making I'm making a <laughs> tornado in a, in a tall glass. Right. So it feels pretty easy for me to stop the the you know the whirlwind happening in my cup is there a way to stop a tornado by this is a dumb question but i'm dumb <laughs> firing like a huge boulder at it or something like could you stop a tornado by disrupting the storm or something like physically wait you drink coffee out of a you drink coffee out of a tall glass yeah i like iced coffee so i put a bunch of uh i almost said cucumbers put a bunch i'm having a stroke you put a bunch (laughs) of ice cubes in it and then uh and yeah and sometimes i'll mix my coffee with protein powder i'm happy to talk about my daily routine if that's what you want to talk about but uh harold that that does sound fascinating but second uh as far as the priority of fascinating to throwing a huge boulder at a tornado and i and i just want i just want to be clear that you know, I remember being seeing from uh, I believe it was despair.com one of those in, important messages that there are no stupid questions except for this, uh, but except there are a lot of inquisitive this. idiots. But we'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it. I, I was <laughs> hoping you would take that in the spirit that it was intended, uh, no, of course, th- insulting. Yes, I do. <laughs> Thing. <laughs> good uh, no uh, okay, yeah but no yeah. There, it, but could could i if i had a giant boulder or something or, no do you know what i'm trying to or say like though a big we, giant easy like, answer to that question like a huge weighted spoon that we lower from a plane yeah is, is would there be a way to physically disrupt a tornado and why don't we fire boulders because at we, because we can't and it really comes down to looking at i could do it at how much energy is involved right. in a tornado or in the thunderstorm and really the fact that it, it really starts with the fact that if whatever processes led to the tornado being developed by the thunderstorm and whatever mm-hmm. processes are maintaining that tornado, they're still there because the parent thunderstorm is still there. So even if you could magically Got it. disrupt the tornado itself, yes. it would be back almost immediately. And Whoa. the scale of the energies involved are, are important to consider. Sort of the ballpark number is that the a tornado itself if you sort of calculate up the energy associated with the mo- movement of the air is roughly an atomic bomb per second. Okay. Whoa. But that's great. No, Wait, that's not holy. very big because the thunderstorm itself. What? Is on the oh. order of a, of a hydrogen bomb per second. Holy. Yeah. They're incredible. What? These are, this, there's an, how, how is that? Wait, how are you? How is that measured? Like what, when you're saying that, how is that measured? Is, is that like wind force or for, like, for the, for the, for the, uh, for the tornado, it's basically wind. Whoa. For the thunderstorm, though, the big thing is the fact that we're taking a lot of a lot of water vapor and we're changing it into cloud droplets and rain droplets. And just like you can burn yourself with steam, 
Whoa. That's essentially what the parent thunderstorm is doing, except it's doing it over a scale that's maybe 10 miles in diameter. And wow. And that's thousands nuts. and thousands of feet thick. So that's the real problem is that the, the amount of energy that's, that's going on in there is, is sort of dwarfs the imagination. Uh, and I hope you're back to being scared, RJ. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Well, so like could, a, a could we could we nuke a, a, a tornado and would it, would that stop the storm? Uh, no, we, well, we actually don't it. even know what sign of the impact it would be. Uh, oh my god! Because if because yeah. you act, that actually may intensify the storm possibly. Oh my god! So you haven't tried it though. Uh, Can't be stopped. Uh, no, we have not tried it, and I'm actually not sure we could get funding to try that. Yeah. Uh, as well as the fact yeah. that there some people. There are people who have objections to spraying radioactive material over a large eh. area of the country. Whatever, whatever. I know, whatever. I know, I I know, I know there are narrow-minded people yeah, everywhere, yeah, yeah. but that's yeah. that's a real yeah. that's that's another part of objections. I don't have to report to anybody. So, Aaron, there if you and RJ <laughs> and I want to go out there and fucking light this thing up, I'm well, good. If, to if go. you can get the nuclear awesome. weapons. There we go. You can make that stuff. Uh, don't t- don't tell me you're doing it. We won't. We'll circle back after this about the nukes. But RJ, I think I cut you off. What were you about to ask? No, no. I was just going to say uh, kind of along the same lines. Could you do... Well, this is a two-part question that kind of ties back to the movie, too. You know... All right. So at the very end when they're looking up into the mm-hmm. tornado and it goes all the way through the clouds uh, and they can see the blue sky, do, do tornadoes do that? Do they go all the way up through the clouds or do they stop? kind of like in the middle of the cloud. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a um But my my second part oh, of that really before yes. you answer that is could you uh could you do the opposite of what they're trying to do? Could you drop something in from a plane? Ooh, good question. Ooh, a or from outer space. Ooh, love this question. Okay, that's the sequel. Yeah. Um <laughs> okay. So Space Tornado. Space NATO. That little scene is based off of I want to say it was a tornado in the 1940s, and I think it was in the vicinity of Keller, Texas, where there was a farmer who basically went to his cellar and house gets blown away, and he looks up through the cellar in the middle of the tornado and, and sees, he says, up way high. Uh, there is some... There is some evidence that there's a that there's a clearing in the tornado in the middle of the tornado. Essentially, what's happening is that the rotation, the rotational winds are th- is essentially throwing everything to the outside. Right, the, kind of like the, a hurricane where you have like an eye. Kind of like, yeah, okay. yeah. It's but there may be some descending motion in there, just like that that the hurricane has. Essentially, if it, it just like stirring, if you stir your your cup, if you do it with tea leaves, what you actually will see uh, is you see all the tea leaves come together at the bottom, go up, and then go out in the cup if you can oh, if you watch it carefully right. enough and that's essentially what happens we're, we're sort of centrifuging stuff away from the middle of the tornado so there's likely that there is a, a clearing in there whether it goes all the way to the top is kind of hard to say because the tornado how do you define where the you know tornado and where the parent circulation of the of the of the larger storm is is that's a little bit arbitrary and the fact that it's probably not vertical so it's tilted ah. so and it, and you might not be able to see it very much. Uh, dropping things mm. into that would be would be challenging. Not impossible. Just let's just say that uh, again because of the it's it's the thing's gonna anything you drop is gonna fall vertically, and that structure probably it won't isn't get sucked up by the NATO. Well, it's also the fact what's really gonna happen is it's gonna get pounded by the parent thunderstorm. You know, you've got even if it was a thunder thunderstorm proof capsule. 
it, it's you know we're we're talking about you know seventy mile an hour winds probably vertically winds that are faster than that in the horizontal with hail. Uh, that's a pretty tough thing to do, and there's also some concern. We do drop we do drop uh, packages outside of storms to try to to try to collect information about the the temperature and wind structure outside of the tornado. That's done a lot actually in the hurricane world. And they'll even drop, I, I'm pretty sure they even drop things in the hurricane itself mm. the, called drop-sons to help get in, to get information like that. Uh, but the, the tornadic environment is, the wind speeds, especially the vertical wind speeds, are a lot higher in, in the tornadic storms than they are in the hurricane. And that just makes it, it's a hard thing to do. I think we have the perfect team here because it's so difficult to, to make, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be a sequel, but just a film inspired by Twister for the modern age where, you know, the three of us can put it together. Harold, you can secure that everything looks legit. And the, the story would be that we come from space and try to get as close as possible, which is going to be, you know, chaotic and dangerous, and drop something into these twisters to stop them and save lives. I'm in. Love that idea. Yeah. And let's just use the tornado from Bolt. Yeah, they didn't use it. No one's seen yeah. it. The, awesome. the the legit part may be hard. <laughs> well, that's where you come in. That's on you. Yeah. Oh well, as as long as we have the rules, that's not our job. Well defined, I suppose it'll. Uh, now yeah. I I've, I have a question. My friend JD years ago wrote a script for a movie uh, based on something I've been dying to ask an actual professional, not RJ, about. And uh, they it was called. It was a movie where. <laughs> A tornado goes over a volcano, and it was called Torcano. Love this. And then it was, then it was a bunch of. It was basically a swirling, like like liquid magma cone that then you know, uh, you know, eked out a path of destruction across the land. Could there be, you know, there's like a water spout. There, it could pick up sand. Could a tornado pick up lava if it was over a volcano? And how awesome would that look? <laughs> The second question is obvious, but the first question, could it, do you think, could you have a tornado pick up lava? What? I'm asking Harold. No, that's a good question. I like it. We're talking about tornadoes in space and no, oh, I'm sorry. This one is a dumb question. (laughs) I like this question. We're talking about all sorts and now, oh. Probably not to any significant height. All right. But it could happen though, right? Kind of? No? Well, you know. Oh, There's which, no more which, superheated oh, air than uh, than than liquid oh, rock. On, on you which know what I'm planet saying? are we talking about? Great well, question. I would like it to. I would like it to be on Earth, but it could be on another planet. If you think that that would happen on another planet, well, okay. Let me tell you the thing that actually does happen occasionally. Um, okay. It it is true that just like with forest fires uh, in the vicinity of volcanoes, you can sometimes get small rotating things. <laughs> That have some Harold, Harold kinematic per- Harold per- relationship, the dumbest so the velocity relationship to to tornadoes, but uh, they don't actually. They probably aren't in the right spot, and they probably aren't going to do a whole lot for very for very long. There are there actually are sometimes when just because of that that hot air going up, but getting the lava up is uh, uh, is hard. Not having it uh, cool really rapidly because lava tends to. You know, cool and exposure to the to the air pretty quickly because the air is cold. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it's a maybe. It's a maybe. It's a probably. I hear a probably. Well, actually, um, I have some good news, um, and I unfortunately we're running out of time, so I don't have plenty of time to explain the details of this. How convenient! But I did look it up, 
And I did secure it with a few scientists. So this is confirmed that uh, lava could uh, get completely sucked up by a tornado, thus becoming what they what they call a lava tornado. And tornado, dude, it's a tornado. Well, I didn't I didn't pick the name. I mean, I guess if we're you know you can call it whatever you want. This guy, tornado, tornado. It basically becomes a huge tornado and will Thanks. just demolish and melt anything that it comes uh, into its path with. So. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, Harold, maybe your grant doesn't cover uh, this kind of um, advanced uh, meteorology. I hope not. But, uh, it- <laughs> can, I, can, I ask, can I ask Harold one more movie question that I've been dying to ask? Please, please. All right, so this has less to do with tornadoes and more to do with the movie. One of my favorite parts of the movie, my whole life I've loved that the team like gives Bill Paxton a bunch of shit for turning into a TV weatherman. Is there really mm-hmm. like uh, like a fraternity of we- is there a difference between weather scientists and do they look down on weathermen in real life? Great question. I, I yeah. don't know if they look down. Yeah, some do for sure. Some absolutely do for sure. Uh, That's great. I mean, I, I sort of think Sick. the well, part of it is that you know I, I recognize that when I see the my local TV people, for instance, more, their primary job isn't necessarily to do science. Their primary job is to look good. Is to communicate, and so mm. there are times when, yeah, that isn't the best scientific explanation I've ever heard. But my next door neighbor doesn't need to know the scientific details of everything going on. They need to know here's the enough information that I can make a good decision upon, and you know protect myself. Yeah, they need to know is the law is the tornado going to run over my house? Yeah. <laughs> is the tornado? They, they don't. They don't need to know the details of. You know of how the lava is made, right? Exactly right. Yes, uh, but that they need to know. I should be taking protective action now. Yeah, and so that's the way I look at it. Is that is that they have very different jobs. I want them to be scientifically experts as much as they possibly can, but that isn't what they get really get paid to do. They get paid to provide information that helps people make better decisions. They also have the best names, like like Dallas Rains and. They have, they have great names. I've always thought my name would be uh, Twister Jones. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Harold, if we want to know more about uh, tornadoes and, and this stuff, where are some, what are some resources that we could actually look to to kind of educate? Sure. Well, the National Sphere of Storms Laboratory has a, has a whole tornado section awesome. uh, that you can get to from our front page, www.nssl.noaa.gov. There's a little section that you can go to to go to learn about tornadoes. Right. Uh, for forecast information, uh, the long-range forecast, is the is the storm prediction center and that's out to a week in advance uh, www.spc.noaa.gov and they do tornadoes and severe thunderstorms out to a, a week in advance and then weather.gov uh, is the is the best source for warning information for your lo- for your local area and those are kinds of places that'll help you make again one of the big things we think always think about is what can we do to help people make better decisions to protect themselves awesome well Harold I can't thank you enough for being on the show for helping to make Twister and for doing your research, which keeps people safe from torcanoes. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my next work plan. There uh, we go. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Please do. And uh, and RJ and Aaron, you guys have a, a pod, an upcoming podcast. Is that correct? We do. That's it's right. called Hear Me Out. 
Uh, it's coming soon. It's basically us arguing about stuff like Torcanos. Yeah. So well, <laughs> look for it wherever podcasts uh, this fall. Great. Well, sign me up. I assume it's here like I hear with my ears. Sure. Yes, it's audio only. They won't let me do a video podcast because of the handsomeness. Ugh, that is a shame. I mean, if there's a something I can sign up uh, and, and protest that, please let me know. Me and John Hamm, Los Feliz's <laughs> most handsome men. Uh, thank you, guys. This was a pleasure. Yeah, this was, this was, uh, this was awesome. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you guys back for Torcano or for Space uh, Chasers. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for joining me and see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, see Ethan. Ya. Take care. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Felt. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. Bad Science is edited by Lucas Bollinger and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. I love you. Don't tell my girlfriend. And the executive pro Dorothy Ducer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.